Yo, what's up, guys? We're back, and this week we have a really fun card. UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov. We're coming off a pretty successful week last week. Uh, went eight and two. We did get a uh, you know a couple fights wrong. The main event incorrect. So hopefully we can do it even better this time. Uh, keep that momentum going here. But uh, just right before we start, make sure to comment, like, subscribe, and I'm gonna do a new thing on this video. So. Put down um, on the main card, all the main card picks, put down who you think is going to win, how they're going to win, and um, whoever in the comments and, you know, whoever's the closest to being correct, you can give a, give a shout out to on the next video. So that's just something that I'm going to try to do on these videos. So uh, if you want to participate in that, just put down your main card picks, how you think they're going to win, uh, which round, and uh, whoever gets the closest will get a shout out on next week's video. So... Uh, Hopefully you guys want to participate in that, but we're going to get right into it. The first fight of the night, it's uh, Matt Roscoff. He's going to be taking on Austin Hubbard. And, um, you know, Max Roscoff, he has been uh, only been a pro since 2018, but he's one of the bigger prospects on the regional scene. He's a fantastic grappler. He's bust-salt his way to a 5-0 record and finished all five of his opponents. Four of them he's finished in the first round. On the feet, he's still very green, though. He likes to... Uh, Use a wide stance. He is big, long, athletic, rangy, but super hittable. Floats his chin in the air. Really doesn't look great on the feet. He will let some jabs go. Has okay kicks, but really looks amateur in comparison to a UFC-level striker. Does have power. I've seen him sit down an opponent early with the overhand right, but he's going to be in trouble in this fight if he can't get it to the mat. Matt Roscoff, you know, he's an elite grappler, though. At 6'2", 155 pounds. He's huge. He's very uh, physical for the weight class. Former Division I wrestler. Very good jiu-jitsu player. Trains under Robert Drysdale in Las Vegas. And he submitted some world-class grapplers in grappling matches like Ethan Krellenstein. In MMA, Roshkoff has great entries into his takedowns. Uh, really likes to snatch up the neck from standing. Very good in scrambles. Just an excellent grappler overall. He's kind of a funky grappler. Really good front headlock position. Uh... That's kind of the key to his whole game. Extremely strong. He'll snap opponents down as uh, different variations of front chokes that he'll attack with. Filthy squeeze. Puts a lot of guys to sleep very quickly. And he's choked out all five of his victims in MMA. Um, he's still green, like I said. He hasn't been out of round two. He's only been out of round one one time. He's a bit of a mystery, but we do know he's, his grappling is world class. He's only 25 years old. A lot of guys vouch for him and say that he's uh, an elite guy. So this is his chance to prove it here in this spot. And he's going to be taking on a guy in Austin Hubbard who's, you know, been up and down so far. Needs a win here. He had a fun fight his last time out but lost that 29-28 decision to Marco Madsen. That was in March. So fought pretty recently. Hubbard, you know, he's fought much stiffer competition um, than Max Roshkoff has. And he's actually fought... Good grapplers like, um, you know, how I just mentioned Marco Madsen, who is a Olympic level wrestler. He also fought Davi Hamos, who's a, uh, you know, world champion jujitsu black belt, kind of a, uh, you know, strong stout guy. And he's also training the Elevation Fight Team, which is a team that's on a tear right now. You know, Neil Magny, Justin Gaethje, um, Drew Dober, all those guys are coming out putting in work. So he's definitely getting some good training out there. And what he has on his side is he definitely is the better striking. He's good at attacking the body. He fakes and faints well. He has good straight punches, good kicks, fluid hands inside, good hand speed, good chin. He's a tough guy, good knees. His takedown defense is improving. He also has pretty good get-ups, good cardio. This is a tough one for me, 
because I was maybe going to pick Hubbard against Selecki because of the striking advantage, and it's a similar matchup. The only difference is the size and physicality of uh, Max here. Max has a nasty front headlock, man. I can't emphasize that enough. He can finish the fight against anyone with that. Um, I'm not sure Selecki has one dominant position like that. Um, it's tough. It's tough. This is a tough one. You know, uh, Max is the favorite here, and I'm going to ride with him. I'm going to say he gets a first-round submission. But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of uh, unknowns with him in terms of his cardio. If he gets pushed, he hasn't really faced much adversity. His striking is still not extremely good. So he's going to have to rely on his grappling here. And I think he's going to be able to do it and get the finish. I think he is a uh, very elite, big, athletic guy. And uh, that's going to, you know, be helpful for him here in this spot. So I'm going to go with uh, Max Roshkoff to get it done. But this is not a very confident pick here. And I'm next to have a pretty big fight for the women's flyweight division. I'm kind of disappointed that it's only the second fight on the card. But uh, let's get into it here. Roxanne Montefiore, Lauren Murphy. Roxy, you know, she's going to be stepping into the octagon Saturday night as the favorite for the first time in her UFC career. She's uh, been, you know, a perennial underdog. She's a pioneer of women's MMA. Even at 37 years old, 17 years uh, deep in the game, you know, she's in the top five of her division. And she cast as a 6-1 to underdog in her last fight. She's picked up a new strength and conditioning regimen. She's improved her striking. She's been looking better than ever. And uh, she's been training wins and losses. She needs to finally win two in a row in the UFC, find some consistency. But she's going to be taking on Lauren Murphy, who's looked good recently. She's won three of her last four fights. It's moving down to 125 pounds. She's looked a lot better. She's coming off the biggest win of her career, defeating KGB Andrea Lee. That was a very contested split decision, a little bit of... Uh, you know, controversy as well with uh, Joe Rogan saying one of the one of the uh, judges was on his phone, things like that. That was the night of the John Jones Dom Reyes decision. So a lot of bad judging on that card. Ewell versus uh, Martinez as well was a very controversial decision. So she did get the win there, but uh, you know, some people definitely didn't think she deserved it. She has won two in a row. She's undefeated since uh, since she moved her camp to uh, Main Street Boxing in Muay Thai in Houston, Texas. She's no spring chicken herself. She's 36 years old. This is a pivotal fight for both women, you know. And how I see the fight going is I think Roxanne's going to be the woman going forward. I feel even on the feet, she maybe is a little bit better. Murphy is scrappy. She has a good jab, decent hooks, uppercuts inside. But she's slow. She's stiff. And I actually think Roxy is faster. She throws straighter punches. And uh, she has the reach advantage. She's better going in and out with her movement as well, in my opinion. I think Roxy is the better wrestler and grappler. She has uh, good level changes, uh, good timing on the double legs. It's also a small cage. I think they're both strong in the clinch, but uh, Roxy's better, has good trips, back takes. I don't see Lauren Murphy getting on top of Roxy, but I could see Roxy getting on top of Lauren. Lauren's guard is okay. She will try to use the rubber guard. She'll attack Oma Plata's, Gogo Plata's, but it's easy to pass. I feel Roxy... We'll be able to hold her down if she can get her down. Um, the path to victory for Lauren Murphy in this fight, in my opinion, is if she can uh, maybe use her jab to control the distance. And when Roxy tries to close that distance, make her pay with uh, short hooks, uppercuts, knees, and uh, try to land the more impactful shots and uh, not let Roxy get the grappling off. But I think there's going to be a lot of clinch work against the cage in this fight. I think uh, Roxy, you know, has a great chin, so she's going to be willing to go forward, eat some shots to force that grappling. 
I think she's going to be the more physical girl in there, get some takedowns. And uh, I think she's a little more fluid. I think she's a little more aggressive. Um, I'm going with Roxanne Montefiore to get the victory here. Keep a win streak rolling. And um, yeah, so I'm going with Roxanne Montefiore to get the victory, probably via decision. Um, next year we have one of the fights that could be, you know, a barn burner on this card. Matt Frivola, he's going to be taking on uh, Frank Camacho. Both these guys have been uh, bonus kings. You know, Frank Camacho has a lot of bonuses in the UFC. Matt Frivola, though, he's been casting as the underdog a lot recently. He's cast the last two fights as the underdog. Had a draw as well with Lando Venata when he was plus 200. And he's fighting out of... Uh, Sarah Longo fight team, which is on a roll right now, but actually I was listening to an interview of his, and he's saying that he actually did this camp in Tampa with Billy Q, so uh, I think he maybe finished his camp maybe like the last couple weeks in Las Vegas, but I believe most of his camp was in Tampa, in Tampa, Florida for this camp, but he's going to be taking on Frank Camacho, who's looking to get back on track, he had that quick submission loss last time against Benny Dariush. And he's lost three or four fights, but he's been fighting absolute hammers, man. I mean, his losses have came against Drew Dober, Jeff Neal, and Benil Dariush. And the fight against uh, Drew Dober was very close. So he's getting a fighter more on his level here in Favola. And I kind of struggled to pick a winner here in this fight. Both these guys like to throw down. They both, um, you know, they both are willing to brawl. Um, I'm pretty sure in all four Frivola's UFC fights I picked against him, and I just can't get a good read on him. He's obviously a dog. His striking isn't bad, not great. Good pressure, good chin. Um, kind of, you know, uh, explosive. He'll throw some random kicks, jump knees, nice hooks inside, good low kicks. He can mix it up well. Good wrestler, good takedown attempts, keeps the pace high. Um... Good riding ability, good top control, good cardio, good heart. Frankie's more traditional, you know, forward pressure, high guard, good jab, good hooks. Strong body kick, strong body attack with the hands as well. Good takedown defense, uh, good trips in the clinch. Good jiu-jitsu player, good get-ups when he gets taken down. He has the more power of the two guys, uh, 17 first-round KOs. And he seems better at 155. He uh, does gas out in... Uh, both weight classes, but I feel like his cardio holds it better when he's at uh, at lightweight. Um, I think Frank is going to have success early walking him down, maybe even hurt him. If he can deny the takedown attempts, then I think he's going to uh, you know, come forward and have success pressuring. He is the better striker to me. Both guys are very hittable, have taken a lot of damage, but I think Camacho um, is a little bit more composed, throws a little bit sharper. Um, I think he attacks the body a little bit better, isn't as much of a headhunter. He is going to have to be able to keep a pace. And uh, I think he also hits harder. So in the first round, I think Favola has to be a little bit careful. And I'm going to go with Camacho to win a split decision, though. I think that Favola maybe will stick it out, get hurt early. I think Camacho will have the more powerful shots. Maybe win the first round easily, eke out the second round, lose the third round. Um, could even be a split. Um, I don't really know how this fight's going to play out, but I think it's going to be a good fight. I'm going to go with Frank the Crank to get the victory, though. And then up next, we have another interesting fight with Jillian Roberts taking on Courtney Casey. Jillian Robertson, she's making her seventh UFC appearance at Flyweight, which will be tied with Roxanne Montefiore for the most Flyweight fights in UFC history. And she's 4-2 so far, 
proven to be very entertaining. All six of her fights have not uh, gone the distance. She's coming off a decisive loss to Macy Barber, though, where she was finishing the first round. Got TKO'd on the feet, kind of overwhelmed. And uh, her striking, improving her striking has been a, been a big emphasis for her since that fight. She's uh, really worked on her footwork. Um, I've seen her hitting the pads, looking a little bit sharper with her boxing a little bit. But she's a hyper-aggressive jiu-jitsu brown belt. She's a specialist. She's always looking to time an entry, bringing the fight to the mat. And she has two specific entries she most uses most often. She uses a double leg, and then she'll come up in a body lock trip, or she has a really nasty single leg. She'll also pull guard, use X guard to sweep pretty well. Good at attacking the legs. And when she gets on top, she's vicious, man. She has a really good top game, very good passer. She's always working to improve position. She will move to half guard, dig her shoulder, dig her head into opponent's chins, keep super, super heavy top pressure, makes opponents very uncomfortable, creates passing opportunities, and uh, she uses her ground and pound to improve position as well. She will throw some uh, ground and pound, get opponents thinking, quickly pass, or uh, use that to lock in a submission. She will work for, uh, you know, arm triangles. She'll attack the, uh, she'll attack the arms from side control as well, but. Really, most of her uh, finishes come from the mount or the back. She has a really good mount where she'll rain down punches, rain down elbows. We saw her finish Sarah Froda that way. Very good when she could take the back. She has uh, good control there. She'll attack rear naked, attack arm bars. And all of her wins in the UFC have came on the mat. She has an arm bar, two rear naked chokes, a TKO with elbows from mount. And uh, she did get caught slipping one time. She was arm barred late in round one of a fight against Myra Buena Silva. She has to be very diligent on top against a fighter like Casey. She can be a little bit sloppy with her passes at times, get reversed, allow opponents to stand up. And overall, though, she does have one of the most dangerous top games in the 125-pound division. I haven't seen an opponent shoot a takedown on her in the UFC, but the small periods, I've seen her on her back. She looks good at sweeping, creating scrambles. And uh, in this fight, she's obviously going to be wanting to get it to the ground, uh, you know, control on top and uh, try to find the submission. But her opponent, Courtney Casey, she did have successful showing in her in this new division. She's just moved down to 125 or up to 125 from 115. She's 1-0. She got that quick submission victory. And uh, that was actually against someone that Jillian Robertson has trained with in the past. Uh, so maybe Jillian is thinking she wants to get some revenge here as well. But uh, Courtney's looking to turn right back around. That fight was very... Uh, I think it was only a month ago, but she's a rangy boxer, nice low calf kicks, wide stance, plods forward, cuts the cage off fairly well, but she stands very flat-footed, can kind of be low volume at times. She does like to sit in the pocket and trade, and uh, you know that's what she wants to do. She wants to uh, force opponents to brawl with her because she doesn't really have the fastest feet, but she does have nice straights down the middle, decent one-twos, good uppercuts. She'll come forward with blitzes, and if fighters want to trade, she will throw down, like I said. She uh, has below average striking defense, but I don't think that really matters in this matchup. She does have some pop, but doesn't really have fight ending power. Only has three TKO victories, one via ground and pound, two via doctor stoppages. And uh, she's durable, she's never been finished. But uh, she showed up for jiu-jitsu once again in her last match, she caught a nice arm bar. That's kind of been, been her specialty or go-to submission. She isn't offensive with her wrestling, but she is good off her back. Her takedown defense is not very good. 
She stance, her stance is just uh, very wide. It gives up the single leg. And uh, Casey also is going to be weaker in the clinch. When Casey gets taken down, she is very active with her guard. Arm bars, triangles, elbows off her back. Good at climbing the cage to set up uh, submissions. And um, when she gets sweeped to top position, she's very strong. She has heavy ground and pound. She has uh, very good... Uh, passes she moved to dominant positions she loves the back take she has good rear naked choke she has finished a fight with ground and pound and uh four submissions in her career mostly arm bars good cardio she's always down to scrap this fight i went back and forth on a little bit on the feet obviously casey is the better striker but jillian she's been working on her boxing uses a lot of movement which i think will make casey miss a lot robertson isn't going to be very willing to exchange i don't think She's going to play into Casey's game. I do feel the stance of Casey gives up the single leg. And I see Jillian being able to get the takedowns in the small cage. And if it goes to decision, I definitely see Robertson winning. Robertson just has to avoid being submit submitted off of her back, I think. If she does that, I think she may even find a finish or just win a decision. I just think Casey's too easy to take down here. So uh, I'm going to go with Jillian Robertson maybe to win a decision here. Oof, up next year we got a rough one, man. Uh, Mark andre Barriot taking on Oscar Pihota. And Oscar Pihota, you know, he can't seem to get off the snide, man. He's lost three fights in a row, been finishing all three fights. And prior to that three-fight losing streak, Oscar was undefeated. So you have to wonder if it's a confidence issue as well. He's going to be taking on Mark andre Barriot, though, who's been nothing short of disappointing in the UFC. Winless in his first three UFC fights. He's on the verge of being cut. Both guys are. But unlike Pihota, at least Barriott has made it to decision in all three fights. Um, this fight's a joke, though. I mean, two guys who shouldn't be in the UFC are fighting it out to see who's less deserving. Um, early on, Pihota will be the better fighter probably everywhere. He's faster. He has more variety in his striking. Good timing. Quicker on the feet. He, uh, you know, is going to be the slicker guy. But Mark andre you know, he's flat-footed. He's low-volume. Fighters who throw a lot can just touch him and uh, as he tries to get inside, angle off. But Oscar's the type of fighter who likes to hit an angle or walk fighters into punches. So, you know, he is kind of a bad style of matchup. But he's hittable at times. He floats his chin. He could throw kicks with uh, outside him up. Um, his chin totally exposed against Puna Soriano. He was doing that very badly. He is uh, durable and tough, but... You know, his chin has just taken so much punishment over the last couple fights. And he was finally knocked out last time, taking a lot of damage. He also gasses out. On the feet, like I said, he's going to be faster, more dangerous early on. But if he can't get Mark out of there early, I think he's going to need to wrestle to stop that forward pressure to try to take a decision. The one thing Mark does do well is pressure. He has good cardio, good durability. And when he gets fighters backed up, he will let his hands go. He has the more power of the two guys in the hands. He could hurt Pihota. Um, as far as the grappling, Oscar's the advantage there. He's a solid black belt. Good timing on takedowns. Nice body locks. He's aggressive on top. He has a good passing ability. Good back takes. Good arm triangles. Good front head lock. Doesn't use a lot of ground and pound. If I were Mark, I would just try to use my wrestling in reverse. Keep it standing. He is the physically stronger guy, and he showed off his strength against Jocko. He got some big slams, but all muscle, no technique, and ended up on bottom every time you uh, got the takedown. Barriott should be able to stop Pihota's takedowns, especially as the fight goes on, though, I feel like. 
He needs to pressure heavy, wear on Piolta, or wear on, yeah, wear on Piolta, attack body shots. Oscar's cardio is terrible, man, and he almost always gasses out midway point of the second round. Um, man, I'm really still going to pick a winner here because I think Oscar's probably better everywhere, but Mark is tougher, has better cardio, he has more power. Um, I didn't like how Oscar struck in his last fight with his chin so easily hittable. I think Oscar's chin may be gone, and he might get KO'd again here. I just feel more comfortable picking Andre, Mark andre Barriott. I haven't picked him in any fights in his UFC career. I just really don't think he's very good, but uh, I'm going to go with Mark andre Barriott to get a KO. And uh, I'm next to have a really interesting fight between uh, Brianna Van Buren and Tisha Torres. Brianna Van Buren is going to be uh, taking her second UFC fight here June 20th. And uh, the UFC must see a lot in her. They're giving her a big opportunity here to take out an aging Tisha Torres. She's another protege of Daniel Cormier. Hopefully she's not uh, like Duran Wynn. But, you know, she's looked beastly in recent fights. She's pretty good. And uh, she won the Invicta one-night tournament. She followed that up by defeating a former Invicta world champion in Livia Souza. And uh, Van Buren, you know, she's won six consecutive fights. She hasn't lost since 2015. And... Since she came back from that hiatus, she kind of took a couple years off after a loss. She's looked better than ever. On the feet, Van Buren, she's good, but she's still a little bit green. She's fast. She's quick in and out. She closes the distance pretty quickly. She likes to use a lot of fakes, feints, false starts, level changes. She's tricky. She also will uh, go up down with her punches with her kicks. She attacks the body and the head pretty well. All this opens up a wrestling, which is what she truly wants to do in fights. Van Buren will throw jabs, overhand rights. She'll feint level changes and come up into body shots, uppercuts. She has a good counter left hook. She does have uh, decent blitz combinations as well. She will strike, start with straight punches to the body, then go up to the head. And uh, when she can back fighters up, she'll dig hooks. She has a uh, pretty good hand speed. You know, she's good at using kicks, nice low kicks, hard body kicks. She'll throw some high kicks, front kicks up the middle. Good knees as well, and uh, her footwork is a little bit choppy though. She only goes forward and backwards, doesn't really use lateral movement. She's hittable, doesn't really have the best defense, and uh, she's hard to pressure though because of the wrestling. She likes to do the pressure in herself, she throws high volume. She's clearly improving as a striker, and she has confidence with her striking, so uh, that goes a long way. She won her last match with the tough Livia Souza almost solely on the feet. And uh, she's young and developing, so every single time she comes out here, I expect her to kind of take a leap up with her striking a little bit. And uh, she's an awesome wrestler. I would say she's one of the most uh, physical and best technical wrestlers in all of women's MMA. She has great timing, fast level changes on her singles, on her doubles, effortless finishes, good slams. She's very good at getting trips against the cage. On top, she has good control, good pressure. She's a good guard passer. She likes to throw hard ground and pound. She'll turk the legs, move uh, right into full mount. She's good at uh, trapping the far wrist from half guard to side control, landing punches, good back take. When Van Buren takes the back or the mount, she'll look for the neck. She'll look for arm bars, good ground and pound from there as well. She's taken down, uh, she has been taken down a couple times. She did get taken down by Livia Souza a couple times, but. Showed good jujitsu skills, actually, you know, against a good jujitsu black belt. She uh, hit an omoplata, used it to scramble back to her feet. She also showed patience, good fight IQ. When uh, she took down Souza, Souza was attacking the neck, but she kind of uh, 
you know, was able to get her head out of there, didn't, uh, you know, go crazy. She was able to pass through this guard, eventually controlled her on top. And uh, that showed a lot of, uh, you know, a lot. that was very good for me to see there, that she could do that against a high-level grappler like Livia. But uh, she's going to be facing a desperate Tisa Torres. You know, I feel not only uh, is Tisha's UFC career on the line, but maybe her MMA career as well, you know. She loses five fights in a row, gets cut. I mean, I don't really see her. Maybe she'll go to Bellator, but, you know, there's not a woman's 115-pound division in Bellator. So, you know, she's a woman's pioneer for MMA. Um, I don't know. She may be done. You know, she's changed it up. She left ATT. She's came back to Colorado, training with Raquel, who's also on this card. And she's getting a step down in competition here, but... No slouch in Van Buren. You know, Torres is probably the better striker. Better movement for sure. She uses good lateral movement. Good counter punching. She's uh, good moving backwards. Keeping range with her uh, counters, with her kicks. And uh, she'll eventually blitz in. She has good offense of her own. She likes to throw hooks over the top. Uh, moving backwards. And, uh, you know, she has nice front kicks, side kicks to the body. Quick one-two. Good blitzes. Uh, body head as well. She'll uh, set up her blitzes with fakes and fakes and feints pretty well. But her striking just isn't too impactful. She isn't powerful. Stronger girls in the division have been willing to just eat her shots and walk her down, take one and give one. And she's also very risk-averse. She kind of uh, will throw air punches. She can allow opponents to dictate the fight. And she was hardly ever able to get inside or willing to take a stand against Marina Rodriguez. Just kind of, uh, you know, allowed herself to lose a decision there. She is hard to hit. She has a good chin. She's never been finished. But she has no finishes with strikes herself either. Torres, she is a pretty strong grappler. She's one of the physically stronger, more athletic girls for the division. She's pretty explosive. And her in-and-out blitzing striking style kind of creates openings for the double leg. She's also good in the clinch. She isn't the best wrestler, but she can mix it up. Her top game is nothing to write home about. She isn't very dangerous on the mat either. Her defensive wrestling isn't bad, but it isn't the greatest. She can get up, give up takedowns. She can be grinded out. She has a lot of losses to wrestlers. Torres is a good scrambler. She does have an active guard. She isn't a slouch on bottom. She can, uh, you know, get taken down multiple times, though, which leads to her losing rounds. You know, good get-ups, but, you know, uh, girls like Jessica Andrade were just able to overpower. She's been taken down multiple times by girls like Carla Sparza as well. And uh, Torres is going to need to have her defensive wrestling on point for this fight. She does have one submission. She's never been submitted. She has never had a cardio problem. She always comes in top shape. You know, you do have to kind of question her confidence level here at four consecutive losses. Hasn't won in nearly three years. But uh, this is a, you know, fairly close fight on paper. But I have to go with the young upstart, Bianca Van Buren. She's going to be the aggressor here. She has really good wrestling. I think she's a smart girl who comes in with a game plan, very hungry. I see her getting a lot of takedowns, but not sure she could control on top. I think Torres is maybe the better striker, but if Brianna establishes the takedowns, it opens up her striking, and Torres is going to need to get her respect early with some hard counters, deny some takedown attempts, go forward, try to prick Brianna apart, but I just think Brianna will likely get the takedowns, open up her striking, and cruise to a decision victory, so... I'm going to go with the younger, the uh, Brianna, the younger, you know, upstart Brianna Van Buren to get the victory here. And uh, I'm next to the main event of the prelims and a 
you know, good matchup, two OGs, Bobby Green, Clay Guida. Bobby Green, you know, he's been winning this fight for a long time. Him and Clay Guida, you know, been chirping back and forth on social media. And they were actually scheduled to fight in 2018. Green, you know, friends with Nate Diaz, who Clay Guida, you know, has fought not only inside the octagon, but outside as well. Guida, I think, filed charges or a lawsuit on Nate, which, you know, eventually got settled. But that didn't sit well with them either. Long-time rival with the scrap pack. And Bobby, you know, he's going to be motivated to get one back. Clay Guida, he's making his return here. He's had over a year away from the octagon. He will be looking for a better showing than he had the last time he fought, where he's finished in less than a minute. Um, Clay Guida, obviously, is a legend, Strock Force champion, UFC Hall of Famer. He's a tough dude, 38 years old. He's definitely seen his better days. Both these guys are OGs. I'm not sure, uh, you know, how they, you know, how they haven't fought each other by now, but. On the feet, obviously, Bobby Green is going to be way faster, way slicker, have a big advantage. Guida, he really likes to use a lot of movement, fakes, feints, level changes, stay on his back foot, and wing hooks. Kind of a similar style to uh, his teammate Josh Emmett, who's also on the card. And Bobby Green is much more technical, has way better defense, picks and pulls better. He's a great striker, man, you know, good shoulder roll, great head movement. I feel Green is going to be the guy going forward, forcing Guida backwards, just being the faster fighter. Guida is going to be looking to bring the fight to the mat, but I just don't think he's going to be able to take and hold down Bobby Green. You know, Bobby's grappling just looked very good in his last two fights. You know, he uh, was out grappling Jakar Close, took him down, out grappled Francisco Trinaldo. He's an elite scrambler. He's a dog. I mean, both guys are dogs. I think they're going to go in there, lay it on the line. But I think Guida's not going to be able to control Green on the mat. I think that he's going to get more and more desperate because I think that Green's just going to have a big striking advantage, speed advantage. And if he can get up after a couple takedowns or deny a couple takedowns, um, I think Guida's going to get more aggressive on the feet, which is going to lead to his demise. I just see Green being too good, making Guida desperate, uh, uh, maybe even shooting for a bad takedown, making a mistake, submitting him or taking him out by uh, TKO. So... I'm pretty confident Bobby Green is going to get this one done. I actually think he won his last two fights. I think he's been looking pretty good. So I think Bobby Green should go in there and beat Clay Guida at this point in his career pretty easily. And uh, I'm next year we have another really fun fight. You know, another uh, up-and-comer taking on a veteran, Jim Hiller. I mean, who's more veteran than him? He has the most fights in UFC history. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts. He's uh, making a quick return after a finished victory over Brock Weaver. And he's the young gun, you know, obviously he's aiming to take out the legend. And um, the fighter in his crosshairs is Jim Miller, who's returning after a decision loss to Scott Holtzman in February. Miller fought hard in that match, though, and uh, it was fight of the night. He won the first round. And he's a 2-1 to underdog entering this fight once again. He's being counted out against the up-and-comer. But for Roosevelt Roberts, his game plan here is going to be to stay long, use those straight punches, tie knees, stay off the cage, Try to negate the clinch exchanges as much as possible. Counter-wrestle, use that guillotine. Top position, he just has that youth, the durability, the cardio. He's hungry. And uh, he's not great with his takedown defense, but he's improving. The first round is going to be a danger round for him. For Jim Miller, you know, a straight left, his overhands, his pressure, his low kicks. Good in the clinch, good wrestler. Um, real good timing on his takedowns, good submissions. First round fast starter. He's tough as well, brawler, but he slows down. Not as fast as Roberts. A length disadvantage. He's also 2-4 and four versus fighters over 6 foot. 
Um, and he's been finishing all four of his losses against guys over six foot. So four of his five losses have came against uh, tall guys. He struggles with knees up the middle. I think this is going to be a fun fight. I think Roberts is very fast. He's accurate, but just not the hardest hitter. He also doesn't have the greatest footwork. Early on, I think Miller will find him with some low kicks, with some body kicks, with some straights, with some overhands. It will be competitive striking early. I see Miller having some time uh, with Roberts' backs against the fence, but if Roberts gets stuffed, get his back off the fence, uh, off the cage, you know, I think that will go a long way in slowing Miller down. I think he can. I think that uh, Miller can control on top, and if he can get him out of there in round one, you know, I think his pressure could come, uh, you know, into play in the first round if he really can just come out hard, try to use that straight left, go for takedowns, and try to take him out. But if he doesn't finish him in that first round, I think that Roberts, just the faster guy, is going to start picking him off, uh, walking him down, landing the straight shots, landing the knees, negating the takedowns. And um, close fight for me to call, but I'm going to go with Roberts by decision. I could see Miller easily winning decision or getting a finish, getting a finish himself, but... I just don't know how many more uh, Miller has left in him. So I'm going to go with Roosevelt Roberts. You know, he's uh, just fought. He should be warmed up. He should be ready to go. He's used to that environment, used to the small cage. So I'm going to go with Roosevelt Roberts to get it done here. Up next here, an awesome fight. Two underrated guys, Lyman Good, Bilal Muhammad. Lyman Good, he's coming off that destruction. He destroyed Chance for Encounter, took him out very easily. And really, if you look at Lyman Good's record, since 2013, when he fought Ian Stevens on uh, Ultimate Fighter, he's only lost two times. And I actually believe that he won that fight against Elisio Zaleski Dos Santos. So the only loss, in my opinion, that he's had in seven years is to Damian Maya. And he's going to be taking on Bilal Muhammad, who's you know been very successful in the UFC, very underrated guy, taking out a lot of people, has a lot of wins in the division, but just hasn't been able to get that marquee win to get him over the top. Every time he's... Uh, faced uh, upper echelon guys kind of been pushed back down a little bit but uh this fight you know it's an interesting fight it's kind of a fight between two top 25 ish guys that are really looking to get their way in the top 15 and the winner will probably get a big matchup here or at least uh, a guy that's in the top 15 and it's gonna be you know uh power explosiveness uh against uh, a guy's will pressure pace and cardio you know, Lyman good, very good straight punches, excellent jab, very tight with the shots, great countering ability, great parrying in the pocket, big presence, very explosive, likes to walk guys down, uh, hard low kicks as well. He, um, you know, is just a very crisp, fluid striker. He's also a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, very strong in the clinch, negates uh, the clinch very well. Good defensive wrestling, good get-ups. He does expose his back when he stands up, but very good at, uh, you know, being able to attack the hands, you know, get the hooks off in a circle. You know, he's good at, you know, getting out of the back mount very well. He also, you know, Bilal Muhammad is uh, going to be the guy pressuring probably, but it's hard to pressure against a guy like Lyman Good when he has hits so hard. It's just, it's uh, a guy hitting with mean intentions. And for Bilal Muhammad, you know, he's going to have to wear on him. Obviously, the first round maybe is going to be a little bit rough because 
I just don't think he's going to be able to take him down so easily. And if he does, I think Lyman will get up. And I just think Lyman hits with harder intentions. But uh, in the small cage, man, I was kind of leaning towards Lyman good when they were initially going to fight. But I feel like Bilal, man, when you watch his fight with Jeff Neal, when you watch other fights, he just has an incredible pace against Takashi Sato. He was doing a really good job of, uh, you know, attacking uh, to the body, then going to the head with the left hook. And that was opening up his double leg, opening up his wrestling. And Bilal's very good at taking the back off the doubles. So I just feel like in this fight, Bilal maybe has to survive a storm early on in the first round. But I think the body of shots are going to be a big factor. I think the forward pressure is going to be a big factor. I think he's going to force Lyman to wrestle even if he can't get uh, that many takedowns or isn't that successful with it. I think it's going to get Lyman tired. I think the body shots are really going to pay dividends. I think as the fight goes on, Lyman is going to start to lower his output and Bilal is going to be the guy pressuring, landing more, attacking more. And uh, I'm actually kind of more confident that Bilal is going to get the victory here. I think he has just too good a cardio. I think that the body body shots are going to be big. I think that he's going to be able to open up that left hook over the top, open up some wrestling with that. I think that Lyman Good is obviously dangerous. He has really crisp boxing, really good striking. Good defensive wrestling, but I think the cardio is going to be the main factor here that Bilal is going to be able to push through and win a decision. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this fight goes either way. I'm going with Bilal Muhammad. Uh, like I said, I'm more confident that it's in the small cage. So uh, I think Bilal is going to get the victory here. And uh, up next, another really tough fight to call. Marion Renault taking on Rocky Pennington. And uh, you see there, man, I mean, Marion Renault, 43 years old. Uh, Rocky Pennington, she's only 31, but I believe she's probably seen her better days in MMA as well. So both these girls, I think, maybe are on the downturn of their careers. But, um, you know, Rocky Pennington, Marion Renault, they're still tough outs. Not really much to say about this fight, man. I, I don't have a great read on the fight. I don't necessarily think it's going to be the greatest fight. I think Rocky Pennington, um, you know, is going to be trying to use her jab, jab and grab, you know, jab, clinch up against the cage, control. Work takedowns, but Marion Renault, she has gotten a lot better at denying the clinch. We saw that against Yana Kunitskaya. Wasn't taken down nearly as much as she has been in other fights. And, uh, you know, both girls are predominantly boxers on the feet. They don't really throw kicks, don't really throw much of anything besides punches. Both have really nice jabs. But I will say, I think Marion, even though she's a lot older, she's still faster than uh, Rocky Pennington. And she seems to start slow, man. But in that third round against Yana Kunitskaya, was very impressed with the head movement of uh, Raquel Penny or of uh, Marion Renault. Was impressed with the power, with the counter punching. And if she can come forward behind those counters and that head movement in this fight, I feel like that's going to go a long way in her defeating Rocky Pennington because she can have other fights where she just starts slow, allows girls to control the pace, Klitscher gets the fence, but. I feel like she's meaner than Rocky. She throws with bad intentions. She has more power. She's faster. But Rocky is just probably more physical, has the better jab. You know, she has some decent boxing herself, and she's going to be able to, you know, clinch against the feds probably at control time. But, man, I'm struggling with this fight. I don't really think Rocky's going to be that successful with takedowns. She's never really been a girl that gets a lot of takedowns in fights, and I, was, I thought her last fight, she just looked terrible in that fight. Um, I'm going to go with Marion Renault via split decision. I think she's a little bit better with her boxing, a little bit faster. Um, 
Yeah, not much to say about this fight. I got Marion Renault. Here we go. Up next here, the co-main event. Awesome fight. Josh Emmett taking on Shane Burgos. Both these guys, you know, they're uh, kind of on the cusp of that top 10, top 5. And uh, with the win here, they're going to be getting a huge matchup. So you know both guys are going to come in, you know, very motivated, very ready to go. And uh, they have completely different styles. You know, Josh Emmett, he's a very explosive, compact, short guy. He kind of likes to work on the back foot. Use a lot of fakes, feints, level changes, switches, stances. And uh, kind of just looks to wink from the hip with the overhands as power in both hands. And if he lands, man... I mean, we've seen him turn people's lights out. He's also, uh, we'll throw some jabs, we'll throw some straight punches, we'll go body head at times, but predominantly in a lot of his fights, you see most of the time, like, he's going backwards, he's on his heels, and uh, just looking to time a big winging bomb. The thing is, you know, in this fight, he's going to be taking on a very technical, very long, very good striker, but a guy that likes to come forward and is very hittable in fights. So, uh... Burgos, you know, I feel like he's going to have to fight with a little bit more um, defensive awareness, especially in the pocket. But Burgos is going to be the much crisper, more technical guy, sharper. I think that Burgos is going to be landing that jab, those straight punches all day long. On Josh Emmett, he's very good with his head movement as well. And uh, initially, I was thinking that Emmett maybe could uh, play a wrestling-heavy game here, look for some takedowns, mix it up if he needed to, but... After watching the tape, man, I was very impressed with Shane Burgos' defensive grapple against Makwan Amir Khani. He's a huge guy for the division. Really showed to be very strong in the clinch. Was able to uh, reverse all the takedown attempts of Amir, end up on top. And when he was on top, he landed some big elbows, hurt Amir Khani, was able to pass his guard. He's a black belt. I mean, he has some submissions himself. We saw him hit that submission off his back against Kurt Hollibaugh. And uh, Burgos is a well-rounded guy. I mean... Josh Emmett does have the wrestling and the explosiveness, but he doesn't have the jiu-jitsu of uh, Burgos. Burgos is going to be the more well-rounded guy. Burgos throws way more volume. I mean, Burgos almost lands like double-digit strikes per minute. He attacks the body, attacks the head. I think he has the much better cardio, but Josh Emmett could serve his energy very well. He's just looking for that one-hitter quitter. Um, you know, is it possible that Josh Emmett is going to land that big shot on Shane Turner the lights out? Yes, but... I think that Shane is just a lot better striker. I think the low kicks may be a factor for Burgos as well, especially if he can, you know, uh, set those low kicks up with the hands first. He's going to be going up and down on Emmett, which I think is going to be, uh, you know, causing Emmett cardio issues as well, especially if he can walk him down. Um, in the small cage, man, I kind of struggle to see this going three rounds. So uh, it's an interesting fight. I mean, uh, I don't think Josh Emmett really likes being pressured too much. I mean... We saw Michael Johnson almost win a decision against him pressuring. I mean, Emmett kind of got lucky getting a knockout in the last minute in that fight. He um, got finished against uh, Jeremy Stevens, a pressure guy. And I just think Shane's going to be able to pick and pull better. I think he's going to be able to land some straights, land some jabs, land some body shots, land some low kicks, and eventually, you know, work on uh, wear on and work down, you know, Josh Emmett and take him out. So, uh I'm going to go with Shane Burgos via TKO in this fight or submission. And up uh, next year we have a good matchup. Curtis Blaze taking on Alexander Drago Volkov. And um, this fight, I mean, we have Curtis Blades here as a, as a pretty big favorite. And I agree with the line. You know, I, I, I see some people thinking, you know, should you take a shot on Drago, things like that. But 
man, I mean, Blades is a guy that you've seen. I mean, he kind of plays into the disadvantages and the weaknesses of uh, Drago. You know, Drago, we've seen him struggle with guys who fake level changes, come over the top with the overhands. We've seen Timothy Johnson hurt him really bad that way. We've seen him taken down in a lot of fights. Uh, Fabricio was able to take him down to single legs pretty easily. When he gets pushed against the cage, he's pretty easily to control, take down. Tim Johnson was spending large portions of their fight controlling him against the fence. And, um, you know, he is going to be a, a long guy. Obviously, he's very tall, has good kicks, front kicks up the middle, good jabs. He could throw those front kicks with both legs, good leg kicks, good straight punches, good knees. And he's going to need to time something and take Blades out because in the small cage, I mean, I just feel like Blades is going to have success with the takedowns. And uh, the thing about Drago is he does have a good guard. He, um, you know, um, also is very calm in bad situations. We saw Verdum take his back and wasn't really able to do much. But um, Blades is Blades is a guy that doesn't mind being in someone's guard. He'll just posture up, elbow, take you out. He's a ground and pound guy. And uh, he's a control guy. So against Drago, I don't think he's going to have much to worry about in terms of... Uh, I don't think he's going to get submitted. And... Uh, He's going to be fine working inside of the guard. I don't think he's going to be like deterred by that. I don't think he's going to be just trying to pass, not doing much. He'll posture up and land some shots. And, um, you know, I feel like he has the better gas tank as well. He makes less mistakes. And I feel like on the feet, also, like I said earlier, those overhands could come into play, how he dropped uh, Junior Dos Santos. I could see him doing a similar thing to Drago. But, you know, I mean, we've seen Curtis Blades hurt on multiple occasions. The chin is uh, a little bit suspect. He does uh, seem to recover well. He has a pretty good chin, but we've seen him put out cold before. We've seen him wobbled in multiple fights. But, man, I mean, he's the grinder of all grinders. If he can get you down, he wears on you and uh, gets you tired, and it's just the likelihood of getting a uh, uh, knockout after he's, you know, kind of uh, taking a bit out of you is much lower and um, in this small cage, I think it favors the grappler. I think that um, it's going to be a rough night for Alexander Volkov, man. I think Curtis Blade is definitely going to finish him. So I, I'm not really, I, I don't, I'm not really worried about Drago unless he can get a knockout. Obviously, it's heavyweight. He's probably the, he's obviously the more technical striker. He has the chance to land a knee, land an uppercut, land a f front kick, land something that. That rocks Curtis Blades and takes him out, but I think that uh, most of the time if they run this fight, Curtis Blades is going to get it done. And um, yeah, so I'm going with Curtis Blades inside the distance in that fight. And as far as plays for this week, my most confident pick is going to be Curtis Blades. The part of the week that I'll give you guys this week is Brianna Van Buren and Bobby Green. I feel like that's a pretty safe parlay. It should hit there. And uh, once again, thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for supporting the show. Um, make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Like I said earlier, put down your main event picks uh, on all the fights for the main event or for the main card. And um, whoever is the closest, you know, with the um, correct picks, the correct round, the correct uh, way of uh, victory, they're going to get a shout out on the next video. And uh, yeah, guys, so thanks for watching. Uh, hopefully, we make some money this week and uh, do well on these picks. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later.